Welcome to podcast 170 from the Wiggly Sofa in Blakemere. I'm Heather and I'm joined today by... Farmer Phil. Who is in a deep depression. He's not credit crunched, he's cow crunched. <laughs> he's crisised. Crisised. He has a cow crisis, which we'll hear about later. No Ricardo today. Presumably he's snowed in because we have got an inch of snow, Phil. No, not even that much. A bare half inch, but that is enough, obviously, for the entire British transport system to give up, the whole education system to give up, and everything else not to work much at all. For those of you that are waiting for your wiggly parcels... We're a few days behind due to our move and catching up fast. But unfortunately, our carrier has just phoned up to say they don't think they'll get any parcels out today. Now we are picturing the scene. Get in your mind, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, with three busy bees piling up parcels everywhere. And now it's grown to the size of an enormous chocolate sponge. That's the problem. What will we do? Will the girls get out of the shed? Will they get home themselves? Or should we give up and go home? No, we shouldn't give up (laughs) and go home at all. We will battle on. Michael's made it through the blizzards. And this week is Put Up Your Nest Box Week. So put up your nest box this week would be a good idea. Secretly, you can carry on for a bit. But it's a really good start to put it up this week. Presumably so, it's a good idea to clean out some of your existing ones, is it, or not? Make no, sure they're all shipped No, out. Phil, you should have done that in the autumn. I'm terribly sorry. But if you haven't, you could, and just use a bit of boiling water. You can use a bit of that art cleanse, but nothing else. Birds do not like being disinfected. No. Now I then. was thinking of also ridding them of any other occupants who might have invaded their space for a minute. There's no complete obligation to do that because, after all, this is nature. But if you want to put a bit of boiling water in there, you can. But you should have done that last autumn. Very sorry. Okay, so here's the key thing. Where should you position your nest box, Farmer Phil? Well, I know that you didn't ought to position it on a north-facing aspect because that's too cold. And you didn't ought to position it on a south-facing aspect because that's potentially too hot. Although, looking at the weather today, that's unlikely to be a problem. Therefore, I would suggest that a west-facing aspect was, in general, the best. Sight nest boxes so that they are sheltered from wind, rain and strong sunlight. If they are in full sun, the chicks could overheat and die. How high, Farmer Phil, should you position your nest box? High enough, Hev. Yeah. But obviously, Noah doesn't need to be able to get at it. he's coming now. Here comes the cat, because I did that impression. Position your nest box 1.5 to 5 metres above the ground for safety from predators and to replicate natural nesting habits. Obviously, if you're Ricardo, you position it 1.5 metres from the ground given your expertise with ladders. Phil, do you need drainage holes in the bottom of your nest box? That depends on what you're going to do in your nest box, but I would think they wouldn't do any harm. Make sure you have a nest box with drainage holes in the bottom. If it's got a lid, make sure it's secure so that those pesky magpies and squirrels can't raid the nest. So I'm not doing too badly so far then. 
No, and I said to you, what are we going to put up on our garage? Well, you were suggesting that we ought to try and put up some house martin stroke swallow nest boxes, nest sites, probably with the idea of encouraging them to nest there rather than build their nests in the windows of the house and this sort of business. But it doesn't um, matter if they do. Well, I don't mind, but it does make a bit of a mess. The only thing I don't know is that I was under the impression that house martins and swallows come back and nest in the same place. So if it's the same pair, they will come and try and build a nest in the same window. Well, they reuse them. So if you've got a ready-made nest, then sometimes it saves them a whole brood worth of building. That's right. But what I meant was that it would usually require a new pair of swallows to adopt a new nest. OK, so calling all swallows, come in, please. Here we go, we've got a German review, and I'm going to hand it over to you to read in German. Ah, that's got no <laughs> doubt, because your German is renowned for its accuracy and, sadly, conciseness. Auf Wiedersehen, Pet. I've got Angelika Humbert to translate it for me, because I didn't have a clue. Wo ist der Kirche? Here we go. A real enrichment. Wildlife for the ears. That's how one could describe this podcast, which is entertaining as well as informative. The topics range from how to set up a wildlife pond, bird feeding and farming, to interviews with people from various projects. Discussions are controversial, the hedgerow row is a highlight, and thus give insight into the topic. The relaxed way of the team is the icing on the cake. We say in German the dot on the eye. It might happen that you, well it says brust, but I assume that means burst into laughter, while you're listening, and earn surprise looks in the middle of an ice train, non-subdivided passenger compartment. Really, really recommendable. You are depressed, aren't you, Farmer Phil? I'm going to find one more review for you to read, due to your mood. And that is on the US iTunes. But in the meantime, let's have a Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness, before we go to the depths of despair <laughs> to cow crisis. Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Blackthorn wood makes really good walking sticks. Another Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Next week. Actually, I'm going to do this one because it's happy. Giggly Gigglers, five stars. Here's to Heather and another wiggly year. I love this podcast, says Kalina Kelm. I feel as though I'm sitting on the wiggly sofa with you guys. And here she is, Phil, right in the middle. How are you, Kalina? I don't care what Richard says. Farmer Phil is awesome. My mood <laughs> lifts visibly. Right? Likewise, I don't care what Farmer Phil says. Richard is awesome. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Nothing is better than hearing the gross details of cowbirth. <laughs> Wait till you hear today's. And all the other stuff you talk about, love it. Now, Farmer Phil, I found one on the UK site that I just have to make you read out very quickly. Due to your mood... My mood's not too bad. Now I've resolved one or two situations, it's better now. Well, this poor chap, he is not happy. Not happy at all. It's a four-star solace by the son of a goddess. Four stars, oh dear. Mm. 
an oasis of calm, serenity and tranquillity amid the 6.45 to London King's Cross. Gentle, decent people with a vivid taste for life and scandalous sense of humour. What I aspire to be when I am freed of this existence of senseless toil and unctuous commuting. Thank you. <laughs> Cheer up, love. It'll all be over soon. All you need to do is get out your sandwiches and make sure they're wholemeal. There we are. Now then, today... Four stars. Report as inappropriate. I think, <laughs> 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 I think four stars from somebody like that's a miracle, don't you? He's obviously desolate. Okay, here's the moment that I woke up this morning and saw Farmer Phil out in the yard in his truck and trailer. Well, dear listener, you'll know it's not Ricardo's dulcet tones describing a beautiful scene of joy and hope and romanticising the countryside. It's me, and it's early Thursday morning. It's snowed, and you can hear the loader reversing. I knew there was a bad sign when I saw Farmer Phil driving to work (laughs) so he's got in his truck and he's driven a hundred yards and I'm thinking that this is to do with cow disaster and cow disaster has been happening over the past couple of days where cows have been just falling over and going down and so I'm heading out to the cow shed to find out what's gone wrong And I can already see that there is a dead cow and it's been hauled by its forelegs and put in the trailer. So I'm afraid the diagnosis is not good. So I'm going to find Farmer Phil and ask him what's going on in cow disaster. So Farmer Phil, I've just explained that you've driven to work. Well, it's not good this morning. So, we know there's been a cow disaster going on where some cows seem to fall over. Well, what we've got, we've got a problem with cows that as soon as they've calved, they seem to be rapidly losing condition for no obvious reason and subsequently dying or at least not being able to get up. And whatever we do to treat them... We've blood tested them and all the rest of it, and we can't find out, can't detect anything wrong. The blood tests suggest that they've been having plenty of food. They're not short of energy within their bodies. Because that's the big danger, that they have the calf, and then you find it difficult to keep enough food in them. That's right. and uh, particularly Because they're feeding too. Also, they're competitive. So if one gets pushed out of the food, it's very difficult to know, because they're not individually fed to know that each one is getting their food but we can test their blood which tells us whether they're effectively mobilising their own body reserves to survive i.e. they're starving or they're getting enough food and in this case they're getting enough food but they lose condition to the point that they lie down and can't get up and despite trying to lift them with the various methods that we've got, so we've got nets and hip lifters and so on, they just won't have it. And sadly, this one died last night. 
I don't actually know why, but the reason that I'm in a rush this morning is because the regulations now mean that casualty stock, most of it, has to go to particular slaughterhouses where it's then tested for BSE and all the rest of it. And they won't do post-mortems and they won't let the vet do a post-mortem. Now this cow is young enough for me to get the vet to come along to the kennels, which is not a licensed slaughterhouse, and do a post-mortem. So the kennels, you mean the hunt? The hunt kennels, yeah. So is that something the hunt does that's positive, is it? The hunt does lots of things that are positive in regard of fallen stock on farms. Mostly they supply a service that the government tried to outlaw, but they've got nobody else who is willing to do it. And so it earns the hunt money, but it also, because they are a proper organisation which is not bound by subsidy and regulation and all the rest of it, allow us to get the vet there, because obviously a post-mortem on a cow is a messy business. It's difficult to do it on farm, because what do you do with the mess afterwards? And so, in this instance, I am wondering whether we've got a problem with liver fluke. We've never had liver fluke before, but wet summers, we've had two in a row, you know, liver flukes succeed very well in it, and the symptoms are of a chronic liver fluke infection. But it's very difficult to test for it. You can test the dung if you can catch up with the right animal, but essentially the best way is to cut the liver open and see whether you can find the fluke in it. So at the moment we're looking at this dead cow. It's quite pathetic really, isn't it? Well, what is even more pathetic is its calf trying to suck from the dead cat. Yeah. And so how old would this cow be? She'd be five or six. But what's worse is I've got two more cows in there lying down that won't get up. And I think I know where the direction they're going in. They've both got calves as well. So I'm going to end up, hopefully, Rob, who you've heard us mention in the past, who works for us and helps us out, he's got a nurset, which is a calf-rearing machine, and I'm hoping that he'll be able to take these calves and rear them for us because I've got no cows to put them on and with no mothers they can't go on to hard food they have to have milk for a number of weeks So, so that's like a machine that gives them milk automatically Essentially it mixes milk powder with water and keeps it warm and distributes it to a selection of teats that the calves can suckle Well I don't know much about cows but I can see this cow's backbone stuck out mm. So have you been watching this happen? You know, was there anything you can do before? If we find out that it's liver fluke, then there's always the feeling that, yes, you could have dosed them for liver fluke before. Not if you're organic, of course. Well, well, I don't know the rules, but probably not. But my biggest problem is we've never had a problem with liver fluke before, and all of a sudden it all multiplies up. You know, you'll lose the occasional one, because they're a complicated things. There's all sorts of things can go wrong in them. But... It's unusual for it all to go wrong in a number of animals like this. Do you know this cow? Is it like, you know, your pet lioness, or is it just... I do uh, know this cow. It was reared by Rachel's husband, Mike. She was friendly, she was a very good cow, she's got a very good calf. And she's a perfectly healthy, normal five-year-old cow? Yeah, she was, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know she's not now. So, are we going to cover up? Can we go and see her calf? If you open the door there... We can, you can see her calf, she's stood there. I've got to cover her up because by law you're not allowed to transport a dead cow exposed to the general public. It's part of the for them. The fact that it's real is neither here nor there. But Wow, 
It isn't very nice to be going around with a dead cow in the trailer, is it? Well, no, it's not very nice for me either. No, but it's, I think it's quite respectful to cover the cow up. Oh, well, that's a different, different thing. Right, I'm going to have a look at the car. So I'm just coming into the barn. You have to step up because the straw is so deep. You have to step up. And the scene looks, on the outside, <coughs> glorious, doesn't it? It does. But the it's clean, not. beautiful calves, happy-looking cattle, plenty of food, plenty of straw, <coughs> a, a so big pile much. of hay. There is the orphaned one. There's 26 in his ear. Ah, oh, with a heart? Yep. So he's got a heart on his forehead, a perfect heart. And this cow on our right is another one that can't get up at the moment. Gosh, she doesn't look very well. She is a cow who is genetically quite thin, so she hasn't got much to lose. You know, we've been watching her, we've been making sure that she gets plenty of food, which she does. Why know. couldn't it be that they've just got worms? Well, liver fluke is like worms. But right. you don't worm cows because they're naturally resistant to them. You only worm calves. The cows have a resistance to it, but liver fluke, they don't. They will tolerate them, but if we've got a serious infection because of the weather over the summer, which is what I suspect and what I'm about to find out, then it has overtaken some of these cows, and sadly I suspect the liver damage is terminal. I don't see them recovering, but that will mean that we can treat and protect the rest of them. So, you know, if something happens at Wiggly Wigglers and there's a fire or something terrible happens, of course we're insured. No insurance on the cows. It's very expensive to insure them. We do insure the bulls, so that if something like this happened to the bulls, they are covered. But sadly, with the cows, it's very costly to insure them. They're animals after all. So, you're lost this morning, then? OK, you've got the problem of the calf. OK, you've got the problem of going to the kennels. OK, you've got the problem that you're upset about it. But what about the money? What's the financial loss? Well, each cow is worth between £800 and £1,000, and it'll cost £800 to replace her with a heifer. Then, added to that, the hassle of dealing with a calf, to bottle feed them is a huge amount of work, and if you don't happen to have any other losses, and at the moment we haven't, so we've got no cows that are needing a calf, that represents quite a headache. And how many cows so far is the problem with? Well, I've now lost two cows and I've got two more that are lying down that the prognosis is not good at all. And the vet? The vet is struggling to find answers but this post-mortem might tell us all we need to know. Right, thank you very much. So we've reconvened in the warm and you've been to the kennels and taken the poor old cow. What's the result? The result is that, thankfully, the kennels have allowed us to do a post-mortem on the cow, which is currently being done right now. The idea of that is that liver fluke, which is what we suspect may be the problem, is quite difficult to accurately diagnose. Its symptoms are a bit variable. The symptoms within blood samples and so on are a bit variable. There is scope to analyse the faeces samples for fluke eggs, but that takes time and is not easy. But the most effective way is by post-mortem in a sadly dead animal. And so having got us a sadly dead animal, that is what we intend to do. And if you dissect the liver and the bile ducts, you can find the adult flukes lurking therein. Yeah, but if 
a cow has lost condition and if it's a known risk when there's been a wet summer, yeah, how come this all seems a bit after the horse has bolted and the local gossip, Rach, says there's been extra supplies of liver fluke medicine purchased from R.M. Jones just lately. That's absolutely right, and that is really one of the reasons why we're thinking that that may be the problem. For us, we've never knowingly had a fluke problem, and fluke... It's a fluke. (laughs) It's a fluke. Fluke... Sorry. ...occurs (laughs) in different ways. It affects sheep and cattle, but usually when it affects sheep, it comes as an acute illness, i.e. it goes from hero to zero in about five seconds flat and usually kills them. Therefore, when you start losing sheep, that's quite an obvious thing. It also... When you know that your ground has got fluke in it, then you know to treat for it. Now, we didn't think that our ground had got fluke in it, but obviously if the cattle have fluke, then it will have. The other thing is that cattle can carry a number of fluke without particular problem. It's only when that chronic situation, which is what cattle tend to get, gets to the point that it affects their well-being that we get into the problem that we are now. So that from my point of view, yes, I would accept the criticism that I may have been remiss in not thinking about it, but there are other reasons for cattle losing condition and so on, not least that they aren't getting enough food. And so we've tested them, and that doesn't appear to be the issue, but cattle are complicated animals, and we don't reckon to treat for all the potential parasites and so on willy-nilly. They're naturally resistant to worms, so that we wouldn't aim to worm an adult cow. And so, until now, this possibility hasn't really... What, what is a liver fluke? It has quite an interesting life cycle, in as much that to complete its life cycle, it has to have the bit in the summer in a mud snail, or a small pond snail. And obviously for those to survive in pasture, it has to be wet and muddy. And obviously this summer and last summer, it has had these conditions, which lead you to think why there has been an increase in the incidence of fluke. So let me just get this straight. A nematode has to infect a snail, a pond snaily thing, which has to be in the mud, in the grass, and the cow has to not only eat the grass, but a bit of the mud to get the snail inside its tummy, which then... What happens is that... All seems a bit unlikely. An animal with liver fluke drops its muck on the pasture in the wet area. Right. And the snail comes into contact with the fluke eggs that are in the animal's muck. The fluke eggs then multiply within the snail and go through that part of the life cycle. And then the result of that is deposited by the snail on the forage, on the grass that the cattle are going to eat. And that is part of their life cycle. It has to be on the grass. So the cattle then eat the grass. And those eggs, for want of a better word, that that part of their life cycle then set up in the cow and they aim for the liver and bile system as of preference and they grow into adult flukes there and then the adult flukes lay eggs which then go out of the muck of the cow to reinfect the snails in the mud. So I go to the butcher and I buy my calf's liver. Yep. Ugh. Well, when an animal goes to the slaughterhouse, if fluke is found in the liver the liver is condemned. Right. So none of that goes to, for human consumption. So the, that question is fairly easily answered. Would you see it Yes. Then? 
right? Yep, you can see it in the liver. Now, you know when we were out in the shed or outside looking at the dead cow, I said what would happen if it was organic, because obviously you would drench to prevent this issue, which would be a good thing, I would think, and what would happen if you were organic? Well, I found out what would happen if you are organic, and actually... If you are susceptible to having liver fluke, as this farmer is that I've just read about here, then he has a derogation, which means that he can drench to avoid getting liver fluke. And so the strange thing from my point of view is, as a consumer, it's very simple to think either you use chemicals or you don't, if you're organic or you're not. But actually, if there's a problem, you use exactly the same thing. And that is a situation that we are in. We could drench for fluke every year regardless. It's not very expensive, but we don't, um, because we didn't think we got a problem. My, as you know, argument is that there is a, a type of farming somewhere in the middle which loosely could be described as sustainable farming, which adopts practices of good sense. I'm not a fan of that side of organic farming which is organic until or unless you have a problem when it becomes normal. Yeah, but you can quite understand why you'd need to. Absolutely. From a welfare point of view, I would accuse, you know, if the organic farmer didn't do something about it, there could be the accusation that he, he wasn't looking after his animal. Now then, two dead cows, two cows down, how many orphan calves? Three at the moment, One with that heart on his head. What's going to happen next, Farmer Phil, in cow crisis? Well... And doesn't it put cash crisis into perspective? It does, really. Actually, it is a cash crisis as well. Anyway, what happens now? What happens now is that we have a number of options as to... Assuming that we find out that the problem is liver fluke or that we find out the problem, then we set about doing something about that with the rest of the cows, for a start. Can you kill the flukes? We can kill the flukes, and although the liver won't fully recover, it will improve quite a lot. So, in theory, we can arrest the situation, and the other cattle will improve. And so in- when will you do that? Well, as soon as we've got the result from the post-mortem. If the post-mortem comes back this morning, that that cow had fluke, then we will drench the whole of the rest of the herd. There we are. So, I think... That's us ending this week's podcast. There is another slightly inappropriate topic to talk about, which is, in fact, Farmer Phil launches his beef (laughs) (laughs) next week into schools and as direct meat supplies. And so I suppose this podcast does bring you all the ups and downs of farm life. And it does seem now a little bit of a sobering thought. It would be inaccurate to suggest that, particularly livestock farming, but farming in general, is the delightful rural idyll that we would all like it to be. There are a lot of good things, but just from time to time, there are days that are best forgotten and moved on from. So, if you'd like your box of beef, give us a ring on 01981 500 391. But from a bleak, desolate Blakemere with a sad farmer feel, I'll say goodbye from me till next week. And it's bye from me. <laughs> <laughs>